Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Piffles podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome into the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. Thanks for joining us this week, wherever you find us on your podcast platform, watching us on YouTube or on Sastel Max TV on demand. My name is Alex. And I am uh, just wanted to announce playing the role of Steve today is none other than Jeff Herholm, writer, oh. legend. Well, I've got big so. shoes to fill. <laughs> Oh, his shoes, he's like a size nine. He's Yeah, he doesn't have that, that big of shoes. He, a little more hair. He's got more hair. We will give him that. A little bit more youth, too, maybe. Well, I'm uh, super excited for this week's episode, of course. We have uh, Jeff Fairholm joining us. Ryder, great. But I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was like, you know, it's great if Steve's not going to be here. I actually have the most hair out of anybody right now. Um, on I don't get to brag about that very often. So um, I'm pretty happy about that. Um, you can give us a follow on Twitter at PifflesPod. You can give me a follow at RealAlexD. And as you always, give... I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. You can follow me at Slotback18. Yes, and uh, Jeff uh, pays attention to the CFL still and uh, has plenty of opinions, and we're going to get a lot from him this week on the show. Um Pipples podcast, of course, brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Oh, there! I have so many questions for you, Jeff. I'm excited. I can't wait to get to it. Let's get to it right now. Let's jump to the opening kickoff. So we'll start with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 2023 season, Jeff. And I know we've disagreed on a few different things about this team uh, over the past year or so, but I want to get, I'm really interested in your take, um, especially as a former player and, and someone who now watches, uh, I don't want to say from afar, but in a different way than you used to. Um, what is your, what was your impression on the 2023 Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you know, basically finishing the exact same way that they did last year? Yeah, it's pretty much the same as last year. You know, we, we started off with a decent team, I thought. Uh, coming out of training camp, I thought we had a, a pretty decent team. I went to training camp for, I think, three days. And that's where I started to find that, you know, I don't know if every team does it. I've only been to Riders training camp, uh, first time in <laughs> many years. And I, I thought it was really lax, to be honest. So I was a little worried right there. Um, no hitting. I mean, even when they did wear pads, it was, they were on and they were off. They were practicing one once a day. Or, uh, once a day. Um, you know, hardly anybody plays in preseason. So I was concerned um, at the start of the year. But, you know, looking at the roster and bringing in Trevor Harris and the Canadians we have, and we upgraded receiver, et cetera, et cetera, and a little bit of the bow line, I was very um, optimistic about the year. And you know, it, then it just sort of happened like last year where we, we came out fairly strong and then, you know, 
the, the season pretty much ended in my opinion when Harris got hurt and uh, we just we just fell apart. So I think for me the underlying theme that I saw and saw is not a not a great great term because I'm not in the locker room, but I just didn't see a culture. I didn't see a culture on the team that that worked and something was wrong. I don't know what it was. I'm not in the locker room, but I can I can tell you from my experience for whatever that's worth, there's something wrong with that football team inside the locker room and they just didn't want to play for each other anymore. So is that uh, a play as a, is that a player thing? Is that coaching staff? Is that higher up or is it all throughout the the franchise? Well, I, I can't say it's all throughout the franchise because I think football operations is very separate from the administration side. And, and maybe that's a bit of an issue too. Maybe they need to bring that a little bit closer because I do understand that the administrative side, the office, the culture is fantastic. And Craig Reynolds has done a wonderful job, certainly with the financial aspects of things and the culture in the office is fantastic. The the locker room, you know, that comes down to the, the coaches, the head coach for sure. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, pee on his grave or anything like that, but you know, poor guy is gone and somebody lost his job, but you know, it, it ultimately lands on, on Craig Dickinson and, and somewhere, somehow, I think they were just too easy on the team. Um, when things happen, I don't think, you know, I mean, you guys have said it on the podcast many times when, you know, something goes wrong in the field and the coach is clapping and things like that. It just doesn't show a good message. And when you're, when you're constantly, you know, trotting out the same players that you, you know, got blown out the game before and players see the film and they see that, hey, so-and-so is not playing hard or is not doing his job and they keep trotting that player out and out and out, there's no accountability. So, you know, that that hurts a culture as well. So, but ultimately it lands on the head coach. Uh, so to answer, long answer to your question is the head coach, but, uh, you know, the players have to, to be there for themselves as well. So they have some accountability. So... You were coached by Don Matthews here in Saskatchewan for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying every coach needs to be like that. That's, I mean, that's a totally different time. And that style of coaching doesn't necessarily work anymore. Um, but how did, how did you, you know, being with Don Matthews and then seeing what you saw here with Craig Dickinson, would you, would you say that there's like such a, a big enough transparency that, um, I don't even know how, like, I don't even know how to word it. Like, is, is, yeah, I, I don't even know how to word it. It's just, uh, like, th does there need to be more like Dawn back in this, in the CFL? Well, everybody, every coach has their own way of doing things. And, um, Dawn had certainly had his way of doing it as, as did John Gregory. And I got, a, I got to play with Dawn for one year in Toronto again. Um, you know, actually, the president of the Argos at the time had asked me who I thought should be the head coach of the Toronto Argonauts, and I, without hesitation, said Don Matthews. And he went out and got him and Doug Flutie. <laughs> so, you know, we had a, we had a pretty good team in '96. But um, yeah, Don had a way of doing things that you know he trusted you and he inspired you, which I which I believe in that type of leadership with trust and inspire. And until, but you also knew it was very very clear that if you did something wrong that Don would come down on you. And I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying that that threat was always there. Um, I remember, I don't remember what year it was. Well, it was one year in Saskatchewan. I think it was his first one. And I can't remember the D lineman that came in, but he was out drunk one night and he was climbing on the balconies of the old Regina Inn. And, you know, it, it, they called Don in the middle of the night and, you know, his, his ass was on a plane the next day. I mean, that's just the way it was. And you just knew you just didn't cross the man. And, 
you know, he trusted us until you did something wrong. And, you know, when you broke his trust in you or you and, or, you know, he never broke his trust with us, but when you broke his trust, you know, you're done. And, you know, you just kind of knew that. Speaking of breaking trust, that kind of reminds me of last year with Craig Dickinson, when you had players going on social media, basically saying that is not what you're saying in the locker room. Would you say at that point that Craig basically lost the locker room last year into even going into this year? Yeah, last year was a mess. I mean, with the whole Marino thing that happened and, you know, some players were sticking up for Marino and, you know, different things. I mean, it's just there was something really wrong with all the penalties that were going on last year as well. There was something very wrong in that locker room. Uh, this year, I think some of it still manifested itself into it when they started losing and they just couldn't they couldn't pull themselves out of it because they weren't, in my opinion, a tight knit team. So, you know, and you need to have that tight knit team and you need to have leadership from the locker room. And I question whether they had enough of those leaders to to pull to pull the team ahead when, when things got bad. That actually answered my next question. I was going to say, what about uh, at what point does it come down to the players? You have, uh, you know, guys like Derek Moncrief, Micah Johnson, uh, even Nick Marshall, who was uh, the longest tenured rider uh, outside of. Uh, um, actually, I think he is the longest tenured rider uh, outside of uh, uh, Jorgen Hughes, actually. Yeah, um, Hughes. But uh, at, at what point do the leaders in the locker room need to really just kind of elevate themselves uh, to say, you know, okay, coach is saying this, but day one of training camp, day one, an easy, it's an easy answer. Day one of training camp is where the leaders step up and they take ownership of the team, regardless of what the coach does or coaches or in regardless of what other players do, the leaders of the team have to establish themselves on day one. And if they don't, it's really hard to establish yourself because the team doesn't know who the leaders in, in the locker room are going to be. Um, there were years um, that I played, we played in spite of our post, of our coaches because some of them had issues. So, you know, we had great leaders in our locker rooms and we would, you know, have a, a closed door meeting without coaches and say, we got to do it on ourselves. We're the ones who cross the white stripe every, every down and we have to make it happen. And if we don't, well, we're not professionals. I don't see that with the writers. You know, I just, I, I saw a lot of disjointed, you know, it's all for me kind of thing. And, you know, it's changed a lot since I played. And I, Crepes, I haven't played for 30 years, but, um, you know, it's a lot of, you know, you catch a pass and it's, you know, first down and way to go. It's like, get up and go to the huddle. You know, it's like, it seems to be the players these days are all me, me, me instead of team, team, team. So, you know, maybe that's just the way it is now. I, I don't like it, but it is what it is. I think you saw flashes of it this year. Um, but honestly, the last time this team seemed to be cohesive was when they had fights in practices. Does that actually like make a team gel or yeah, but why, why'd they lose it? Yeah. I say that sometimes on, I said it sometimes on Twitter <laughs> where, you know, this team just didn't have a fire under their end when they were going to games that they had to win. Where was the fire? And I said, someone needs to get into a fight and practice, you know, really rile things up. I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but it actually it actually gives the leaders a chance in the locker room to bring the team back together after a fight and practice and and or make an aggressive penalty. Like I said, you know, I, drew it, I walked it back a bit and said, you don't want to get kicked out of the game these days or anything. But, you know, sometimes taking a really aggressive penalty 
gets the team fired up too. And I just didn't see it. And in this, it's like the team, everybody on the team was almost waiting for something, somebody to do something. And, you know, after 60 minutes, nobody's done anything. So it's like, you know, what the heck's going on? Did Jeff Harholm ever get in a fight in training camp or in practice? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, we Not had with Ray, though, right? With who? Ray. Are Elgar? you kidding? He'd kill me. No, <laughs> um, no as they became a as – I've never fought with an offensive player. Um, there was just a couple in training camp where we had a couple of rookies and they weren't supposed to hit and they, you know, hit me downfield or something. And I give them one pass, but it happens again. You and I are going. And, you know, it happens a couple of times. And, and then in games when – you know, I didn't do anything dirty, but when, you know, uh, a DB pissed me off or something, I'd give him one pass and, and then I'd go and I'd just, you know, at, at those days, I would just go cut him at the knees. And, you know, if your knees in the way and I blow it out, so be it. So looking at this team, the rider team going forward, obviously they need a new head coach. We don't know who that's going to be. <clears throat> um, what changes needed to be made and what changes should be made? needed to be made i was thinking you know I, I think that they probably were going to make a change at head coach if we lost that bc game before labor day um i have a strong feeling that i think changes would have happened there we played a great game won the game threw the ball downfield like i have been asking for all year won the game and then i think the next game, next game was labor day wasn't it um, yep. and then we win that game. And then of course we're going the infamous, you know, our, our standard seven, seven game loss streak. Um, so I think the change, if it had happened then, I think the team may have been able to win, win a couple games in those last seven. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, the team's not going to change. It's the head coach that, that had to make a statement, but I tell you what, they probably would have won their next one because whenever you change coaches, it seems like everybody plays hard the next game. Uh, I had a couple of changes in my, in my career and you know, it, it just seemed to win the next one. Um, I, I think what they need. So that's what I think should have happened. Unfortunately, I understand why it didn't, but if it had happened, I think we might've had a better chance at the playoffs. What needs to happen now and unfortunately, none of the coaches are going to be back. Um, I don't think anyway. Someone needs to evaluate the culture in that locker room. And uh, I mean each player. They need to go through each and every player and understand what that player brought or didn't bring to the locker room. That's number one, in my opinion. When you're talking about all of these free agents, um, which ones do you want to bring back? Forget how good they are on the field right now. Right now, you need a team, and they need to figure out who's going to fit in the culture of what of the coach who comes in. That coach needs to figure that out, and you, you figure you figure out what culture you want, how you're going to build it, and then you you bring players in that fit that culture. And I'll tell you, if they don't fit the culture, eighty six of them get rid of them right away. So, how does a team start building that culture? Well, you have to have a plan first. So a coach has to come in and, and build build a business plan, if you will. And that coach is going to say, this is going to be my culture, uh, whatever that culture is. And, and it, it usually goes to that coach's personality. So if they have a personality 
and they want this certain culture. They don't want penalties, but they want to play hard. They want to play with, you know, physicality and they want to have a really big, strong offensive line. But we want guys to gel in the locker room and we're going to take them bowling and training camp rather than in game 17. I'm kidding. But, you know, whatever, whatever kind of culture you want, you go out and get those players and you do. And that's the general manager and and all of the scouts they have to go and do their due diligence on these on these kids that they're going to bring in it's not let's face it they are kids and any free agents they're going to bring in and whoever they look at in the draft they have to go through and do background checks and see what they were like in their locker rooms in the past that's how you build a team um i i, I don't know if they did it in our team in 88 and 89 and 90 but i'll tell you we had an amazing locker room and if someone fell out of line they were taken care of one way or the other um, I'm not saying we put hits on them or anything. It sounds really bad, but you know, either the players would would deal with it our, ourselves or themselves, or the coaches would or the GM would. So you know, there was always, like I said, uh, there there was always some sort of accountability. I'll use that word. But that's how you build the culture. You have to decide what culture you want first, and then you you get it down into the players, and you get the players that fit that culture. So with that, the what. Milt Stiegel recently said the Riders were missing a lot of top-tier talents, a lot of betas, not alphas. So what's more important, a fit to the locker room or guys with the talent that might not be there? We need both. I mean, ideally, ideally you have both. And I think if you look at Toronto this year, they have both. They have some amazing talent. They have depth. And from what I understand, um, I, you know, I was talking to Pinball and I was talking to Danny um, – Danny Webb, the equipment manager, uh, before the last game, and, and and I was asking them, how did you build your culture? And I, I explained it already. They did that, and they said that Dinwiddie has a certain way of, of running it. The players have a certain way of running it, and you know that's just how, you know that's just how they have, and they have great players. So they went out and find, found them, and there's football players everywhere. Maybe not Canadians, okay? And those Canadians are a different are a different animal, but but when you're bringing Americans up you know, or, and, or free agents, you got to do those background checks. You got to have good players, but you got to have a good culture. You got to have both. Toronto has a, that's why they're going to win the great cup this year. All right. Well, scrap my last question for you. Who's going to win the great <laughs> cup? Um, um, Anyone but Winnipeg. Anyone yeah. but Winnipeg. Yeah, I hear you there, Greg. Um, going from, for you yourself, with we're talking culture, culture and coaching, you have a guy like John Gregory, and then you have, you know, a guy like Don Matthews, um, at least to me on the outside, looks like polar opposites. As a player, how do you, you know, respond to two different type of uh, coaches like that and, and find the inspiration and the motivation to go out there and be the absolute best that you can be and, and help your team win championships? You'd be a professional. I mean, uh, I, I grew up with my dad who played eight or yeah eight years in the CFL, and he taught me a long time ago how to be a professional. And um, I was a professional when I went to college, and I was a professional when I came to the pros, which I had never thought I would. But, I mean, you still got a job to do. You're getting paid. And you know what? I'm getting paid to do a job now, and I'm a professional regardless of, you know, whatever crap people want to throw at me. I'm still going to go out and do my job. Um and when my boss comes in, i.e. the head coach, and they have a certain culture that they want to instill, I'm going to fall in line. 
um, but I'm going to do my job. I'm still going to, you know, I'm still going to be the first one to put my hand up and ask questions and why, and, you know, I'm still going to work my ass off and practice. And you know, I'm still going to look up to players like Eddie Lowe, who just never stopped running after he crossed the stripe. And, you know, you're still going to have these, you're still going to have these things. And, and I'm not saying you want to, you want a whole locker room full of Jeff Fairholmes because you don't want that. You want, you want to mix, but you want everybody to get along and play for each other and understand that, hey, I'm a professional just like you are. You mentioned Ray Elgar earlier. We couldn't be from further sides of the tracks, but but we we got along well enough that, you know, we respected each other. We played hard for each other. Uh, we didn't get into fights. I mean, you know, we just we just became to we just came to 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 play off each other and, and really work well together. You're telling me there's a difference between you, Elgard, and Don Narcisse. I think you guys are the same person. Really. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we're all really the same. We used to watch <laughs> film, and I swear to God, we would we would be watching each other on film, and I would look at Narco and go, "How in the hell did you do that?" And then I'd say the same thing to Ray, and Ray would say it to me, and it was just it was this friendly banter, and we all learned of each other. But that's that's what a good group does. Okay. Well, a lot of people don't may not remember or don't know you were actually a coach yourself with uh, the Toronto Argonauts after your playing days. Um, are you putting your name in the, in the hat for Ryder's head coach? No, <laughs> I don't understand these players these days. And the game is, the game is somewhat passed me by. Um, people would say I would be an offensive coach. Um, but you know, I, I don't even understand the offenses these days. They go through this long list, this long laundry list and, you know, I just know when I want to throw it deep and when I want to run the ball. Um, no, I wouldn't want to do that. It's uh, the game's passed me by that way. I've got a good job. I make way more money than I would as a head coach. So I'm quite happy where I am. Thank you very much. Uh, the problem is you, you weren't a quarterback. Quarterbacks can only become no. coaches, apparently. No, and I, you know, when I played, I always knew what I had to do, um, and I knew. I knew the the adjustments I'd have to make depending on the coverages we were getting and the blitzes, and then you went to run hot, and I very, very, very rare, rarely made mistakes. Um, but I never knew the offensive line. I never knew why, when, or why they were calling something. I never questioned it. You know, my my attitude on the bench was, "You call it, I run it," and you know, I'll do the best I can to to make it work. Now, Jeff Harehome, the fan, the Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan. Um, who would you like to see as the next head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders leading this team in 2024? We've seen a lot of names being thrown out there. Um, some to me pretty far out there, like a, um, a Henry Burris, a Kerry Joseph. I think that's just kind of, you know, clickbait more than anything. Um, they do have the coaching background now, but I think they're still years away here anyway. Um, but as a fan, who does Jeff Fairholm want to see lead this team? I think we need a safe bet, to be honest with you. I'd love to say let's go out and, you know, hire Burris or something like that and take a take a bit of a wing and a prayer and, and try something. Um, I think the two you mentioned uh, with Joseph and Burris, I think they need to be um, offensive coordinators in, in our league first uh, before they can make that jump. Um, running a team in a locker room is very different. Um, but the, the name that the name that is the safe bet, and then his name has escaped me, uh, Hamilton's OC. Scott Milanovic. <laughs> Scott Milanovic. Thank you. So Milanovic is the safe bet. Um, if he gets locked up, though, I would say the next one, it would probably, I would say Maximic. Um, now, it's not a safe bet, but he's been a, he's been a, um, 
He's been an OC in the league, and he's done really well with BC. So I would go Milenovic first, then Maksimic second. Um, then after that, it's it's a it's bit, bit of a steep hill, I think. Now, do you think this team would need a, a younger coach like a Maximic, like maybe a Corey Mace? You look at what uh, Corey Mace has done in, in Toronto. I mean, heck, he played with half those guys over with the Calgary Stampeders. Mm -hmm. um, but just to relate to players, do you think that's that's a, a really big, important thing? I think it is, but you have to draw the line somewhere. Um, when you become a coach, the line, the line gets blurred when you're so so new out of, out of playing. Um, I, I think that if we bring back most how many how many free agents we had 46 if we bring if we bring um half of them back then i think we need a coach that can lay the law down a lot faster um and coach and players you know coach that players will, will respect um and right now i think the safe bet after cu coming off of two years like we've had I, I i think we need someone with some uh with some head coaching experience that's my opinion all right well um you mentioned your father larry um played eight years in the in the cfl with montreal you said that he taught you how to be a pro um what else did he teach you about becoming a pro football player, him being a safety and, and, you know, knowing what the offense is doing and you being a receiver trying to figure out what the defense is doing. Yeah. He, he, he taught me how to work hard. Um, you know, I grew up around the Autostad and, and even McGill when my dad was playing and I caught punts from, you know, Sonny Wade and passes from Sonny Wade and things that, you know, I don't remember a lot of it. I've been hitting the head a lot, but you know, some things I really do remember, um, my dad taught me how to be on time. Um, I'm so on time now, it, it actually gives me anxiety sometimes. Um, but no, he taught me how to be on time. He taught me how to respect um, respect people, respect your players, uh, your teammates, your coaches. Um, know the playbook. Don't make mistakes. Um, don't rely on your athletic ability. Uh, you have to work hard on every single play, everything you do. And that, as he taught me that, and as I moved up in the ranks into, you know, high school and then into into college at the University of Arizona, I was like a fish out of water coming from a private boys high school in Oakville, Ontario. I think we had 42 people in my graduating class, private boys high school. And, um, you know, going to Arizona where, you know, there are 120 people on, on our team alone. And what he taught me as I grew up, um, I was able to surround myself with people who had the same type of morals and ethics that I did and people who I could look up to, uh, people like Jay Dobbins, um, Alan Durden, Chuck Cecil, um, people, and some names, some people may have heard of them before or maybe not, but um, I surrounded myself very quickly with those people when I was a freshman. And then when I was started as a sophomore, junior and senior, I just, you know, continually, continually looked for those people to surround myself with. And then when I got, sorry for the long answer, but when, then when I got to pro in Saskatchewan, <clears throat> I mean, I had this behemoth Elgard who was, you know, tromping through people. And, but I had other guys like, like, um, like Roger and Roger Aldeg and Bob and Bobby Jerson and all these people and Tom Burgess. And they just basically took me under their wing. And, you know, I'd already known how to be a, uh, known how to be a professional, but I was able to fit in with those guys because I was uh, maybe a little older than my, my years suggested. 
You okay. don't need to apologize for long answers. No one wants to listen to us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they want to hear all that, but anyway, pretty cool people. I was I was lucky to be around some great people, and you have to have a lot of luck too. I was um, when I was at Arizona. I went, I went down there as a running back, and and after three days of of main camp, all of the uh, flankers behind the starter got hurt, so they threw me out there, and I never looked back. And I ended up with second string as a freshman, and never played a down on offense. Thank goodness, but. I was, uh, I got second string and just never let it go. So when you first came to Saskatchewan, um, one, what was your first impression of, uh, of coming here? <laughs> I came in and, um, uh, I remember going into sign, I think it was in early April and I was coming up from Tucson and I didn't have a coat and, uh, Bill Baker and Dan Rambo, <laughs> Bill Baker and Dan Rambo sort of took me over and, and I flew into this. I flew in it in the middle, not in the middle of the night, but it was late and it was dark, and I didn't really see the town. And I grew up in the east, guys. I didn't, didn't, you know, when you live in the east, the west doesn't exist back then. So I didn't know where I was going. Um, I knew they drafted me high. Um, I had agreed on a contract, so I was going up to sign. And you know, they took really good care of me. Um, I found the people to be just lovely right away. I mean, they took, you know, Tom Burgess and and. Um, uh, Dave Ridgway took me out to dinner at the Diplomat at the time, and you know Thomas. We met Thomas for the first time, and he's now he owns Memories, and we, you know it's just it was just fun, and I felt at home. I'm I guess I'm a I'm a, a small town guy, and and relatively speaking, and you know I just love the West. I've been out west for four years in in Arizona, and I just loved it right away. It was very family oriented, and uh, you know I I it was easy for me. Who uh, who was your first roommate? um with the team uh whether it was living conditions or whether it was uh just on the road uh living conditions i came up with um my first wife and um we uh, rented a house right away and um so that was that one and then um on the road uh jill mcdougall put me with Allgard all the time so um it was you know again learning how to be a pro he was the best at it Okay, so you got to have some pretty good Ray Elgard stories. I can understand if you can't share them all here. <laughs> I don't think I can um, share any of them. Uh, I now, mean, he, he told us one time on on this show about uh, going to Ottawa and looking in, in peepholes oh, and locker rooms and stuff like that. We won't get into that, obviously. Well, I can tell you, I can uh, tell you one story. I'll tell you one story. You mentioned Ottawa, and that was my first my first pro regular season game, and. Um, we had won the game and everyone was so excited. I don't, I didn't even know what had happened, you know, prior to 88. And I, I guess we'd lost 11 years in a row and whatever. And we won the game and everyone was so excited. And, um, we were in the shower. I'm not going to get dirty here or anything, but Steve Goldman, who was our offensive coordinator, uh, came into the shower. Coaches would shower with the players, whatever. And he walked in and he was a very hairy guy and Elgard, Elgard yells out, he says, he says, Hey, someone get a gun. There's a bear in the shower. And I just lost it. I thought this is pro football at his best. You're just, you're just dogging your boss right after the, right after a win. So it was a good time. You know, we had a, we had a lot of fun. Together. Uh, obviously the jewel of the West, it was a uh, Taylor field, so to speak. Uh, it, tell us about that old girl compared to the new stadium. Ooh. Well, you know, I, I love Taylor Field. I'm 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 nostalgic. I'm um, um, I've been around the CFL. I grew up I grew up around the Autostad, which wasn't exactly a jewel. Um, 
And I love those old barns. I love playing in, in Iverwin Stadium. I love playing in, um, in old Lansdowne. Uh, I just love those old places. And I really, I really miss the fact that we don't have Keller Field anymore. And you know, it toughens you up. I mean, it was home for us, but it toughens you up. I think these guys might be a little bit, uh, a little padded right now because, because I'll tell you, Mosaic Stadium now is absolutely gorgeous. And I've never, I've been around Arizona's, you know, facilities, which is, you know, top notch and things like that. But Whoa, I tell you, we are, you know, that facility that we have, I, I don't know how we can't attract, if we can't attract players to that place, uh, you know, you just can't sell, you just can't sell the place. It's, it's, it's first class. It's better than I would say most, if not all of the NFL facilities are they're that it's that good. Do you have a favorite memory of Taylor field? Yeah. You know, my hundred and whatever yard touchdown was, is a fun one that I remember, but um I think what I, you know, the Labor Day classics were always a riot, but I'll tell you the one game that was electric was, I, I, I want to say it was, we need, we need Rob Manstone on here, but I was, I want to say it was the, the first time an American team had come up to play us. And I think yeah. it was the Sacramento gold, gold miners. Yep. Sacramento and was the first one. Yeah. Was it the first one? Yeah. Okay. You guys yep. know better than me. So it was just electric. I mean, it was more electric than 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 any Labor Day Classic, and I caught a touchdown and ran up into the stands in the south end zone, and you know, it was just that's that was a great memory. That was a hell of a lot of fun. That was a great game. Were you on the? I, I want to say it was a it was a Saskatchewan game in Vegas in ninety oh no ninety five. You might have been in Toronto then. Yeah, I was in Toronto. I never played in Vegas. Oh okay. Yeah. I'm trying to, wasn't that the old Christmas tree game? Yeah, I'm trying to remember who was on the sidelines. I remember hearing a story about the the players just busting a gut laughing at the at the anthem being sung completely oh, wrong. But wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit a little bit about uh, free agents for this Riders team, and we're going to go from the opening kickoff here, presented by Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty. We'll jump to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Thirty six free agents for the riders we'll start broad there and then we're going to narrow it down to receivers here in a little bit um a team with 36 free agents six and 12 record losing seven straight now there's some good names on this list i think there's some some very solid players um jake dolagala i think needs to be brought back jamal morrow's on there um sean bain jr tevin jones philip blake logan furlan the entire offensive line yeah pretty much other than um, good good players on defense micah johnson anthony lanier pete robertson larry dean's on there as well too um but two straight years of uh of losing the way, way that they have how many guys out of you know 36 here do you even want to bring back if you're you know jeremy o'day and whoever the new head coach is going to be yeah, that's tough. I mean, first thing you got to do is you got to go through culture. You know, like I said before, I, I hate to keep harping on it, but I'm obviously a big believer in it. Uh, you need to you need to figure out if anyone was an issue um, in the locker room, and you need to 86 them right away. Um, you got to wait for a new head coach to come in too. Obviously, um, you can't keep trotting the same players out there and expect different results. Um, that was clear. Uh, we can't do that two years in a row. Um, our offensive line was better, but we need to be even more, even more better. Sounds like, sounds like Obilovich. Um, I can't believe I just said that. It just popped into my head. It's true though. Um, <laughs> more better. Um, 
So <laughs> I got to I got to tell you this story. So when I signed my contract in Toronto, um, I was there with my dad and Gil Scott was my agent, and we were, we were with OB in the uh, the old CNE Stadium, and uh, and uh, we had agreed to terms and. And OB says, oh, good, we're great. And then so he's, you know, my dad says, you know, we probably should sign it just to make sure in case someone gets hit by a bus. And OB turns around, and he says, I was hit by a bus once. <laughs> that sort of cleared up a lot for us at the time. <laughs> true story. Anyway, back to free agents. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you can't keep trying the same players out there. So, you know, our offensive line has to be, our offensive and defensive lines have to be sturdy. And we have to improve on, on both. Um, the defensive line showed up sometimes and sometimes not. I understand we had injuries. Um, we got to find out who the leaders are and go after them first, um, the good leaders. Um, you know, I, I think our offensive line improved quite a bit. I mean, Blake's getting old, though. You know, he's, what, 37 or 38 years he'll old He'll be 38 now? next year, yeah. Yeah, he'll be 38 next year. Yeah. So I don't know how longer he can he can go. Um, I don't know if Council's on that on that free agent list or, or not, but um, he is not. He is, well, I think we need to do something with that. Um, and you know, but we you know, but we've got we've got the makings of the start of an offensive line. Um, and who better to fix an offensive line than Jeremy O'Day? I mean, he needs to he needs to do that. Um, so they improved, but they didn't they didn't get that much better. Dola Gala has promise. Um, I think that if he has a chance to learn from Trevor Harris over the course of at least half a season, you know, I think he'll he'll improve. Um, so I think he's a keeper. I agree with you there, Alex. Uh, receivers, um, we can talk about that in a second, but we have to sign our, our Canadians too. We have to make sure we, you know, it's all about quarterbacks and free agents, or free agents, quarterbacks and Canadians in this league. So whoever's on the list, and I don't have it in front of me, but whoever's in the list that is uh, that is Canadian, um, you know, like like Amelis and, you know, KSB and those kind of guys, we have to make sure we get them re-signed. Well, the good news is there's only one Canadian on the free agent list for receivers, and that's Braden Lenius. Uh, the other receivers are Mario Alford, Sean Bain Jr., I guess Jawan Breskinson, sorry, um, and Tevin Jones. So, yeah, guys. so, you know, I mean, we need someone to blow the top off the offense. I've been saying that for – or off the defense. We've been saying that for two years now. And, you know, we, we did get the ball downfield uh, a lot more this year, but um, the receivers had to make those plays. I didn't still haven't seen anybody who's – you know, three, four yards ahead of a receiver and catching the ball over their head. Um, you know, last year was a lot of 50-50 balls, I think, because of the lack of arm strength from our quarterback. Um, this year we had the arm strength, but nobody was really getting in behind. So we need to fix that. And, you know, if we can get a Canadian who can do that, great. But if not, we need to find an American who can do that and do it do it all the time. Hey, um, going on Jake Dolagala here, um, talking about how uh if he had more time with trevor harris obviously on the field on the practice right. field um i'm sure trevor was in in the the locker room and, and meetings quite often um does that also is that a coaching thing to you as well um that he just needs you know the right guy to maybe an x's nose type guy to, to help him out whether it's mechanics or 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 something different um uh, you would hope that his mechanics are solid when you become a professional, but uh, pros still do need that help. Yeah. 
especially at the quarterback position. Um, he needs to get back to basics a little bit. His short passes and his medium passes were sometimes a little suspect. Um, we stopped going over the middle for some reason. You know, in the beginning of the year, first half of the year, we were throwing those those 15-yard dig routes really well, and then we got away from it. Um, I, I think he's got promise, but what he, he needs not only Trevor Harris on the field, but he needs to watch the film of Trevor after the game and sit there and listen to what Trevor had you know, done wrong and what he'd done right and learn from that. Um, you know, you got, I said it before, I mean, Jake has played behind um, Cody Fajardo um, and Jake's not like that at all. Jake stands, stands in the pocket and can throw the ball deep. He's a very different quarterback. So he didn't learn anything from Cody because um, he's not much of a scrambler and Cody is or was. And, you know, and then he, he had Trevor Harris to learn behind and, you know, he was hurt after whatever it was, six games. So, um, you know, he's, he's sort of been on his own, but I think he's got a lot of promise. Looking at the defense, I know you're an offensive guy, but uh, looking at the defense with how they started the season, they were the whole, to me, a big part of the reason why the Riders got to six wins. Um, a lot of those wins at the beginning of the year was because the defense was playing so good. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously injuries happened. Roland Milligan was a big one in the secondary and after he got injured, it all seemed to just kind of, you know, go downhill for the defense from there. Um, what needs to happen on the, on the back end? <laughs> but our back end hurts right now. Uh, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I can't deal with Marshall anymore. Um, I just, I just can't deal with it. I mean, you know, he makes it, he makes a great play and then he lets two or three go by him. I just, I can't buy that anymore. And I'd, I'd rather have a much more solid player. I mean, I'm sure he can find a job in Edmonton with Jones, but, um, but he's just not, I just don't think he's, he's, he's a rough rider for, for this team. Um, I, I hate to be so critical of a player, but you know, it's just the way it is. Um, I, I like Dalkey a lot. I think he's going to improve. I think, you know, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to protect his body a little bit, but I really like Dalkey a lot. Milligan is uh, is a great player. Uh, CJ Revis is a great player. Um, I think we put Moncrief in the wrong position a couple times. Um, and, you know, he's getting a little old now too. He got run over by, who was it? I can't remember. He got run over by a quarterback and I can't remember who it was. Schultz, I think Schultz. it was. Schultz. Schultz, yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, that's just a bad look. Um, so our back end, we need, we have to, we have, we have a couple of holes to fill there. I think, um, linebacker, boy, I was really disappointed in tights this year, this year. Um, I don't know what, what happened. Maybe he was put in the wrong scheme. I don't know. I think, I think he's a better football player than what we saw. And uh, of course, Larry Dean, what can you say about Larry? I mean, he's just a, he's a fantastic player. He's that quiet leader that I love. And, um, you know, hopefully he's back. He's getting up there in age two though, but do you keep on rolling him out there until, do you do you ascribe to a year too soon over a year too late, or how how much longer do you think Larry Dean's got in him with his injury history? Well, here's the thing: there's got to be some loyalty somewhere, right? And and that's where these one year I hate these one year contracts because it seems to me there's just no loyalty anymore. And I know I may be talking out of both sides of my mouth because I left you know Saskatchewan after six years to go to Toronto, but you know there's got to be some loyalty you know on both sides. You've got to be able to sign for a year or two or three or year plus an option, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, but I think it goes both ways, and I think Larry Dean's you know. Um, he's paid his dues, and I, I think uh, to answer your question, I'd wait till a year till wait, wait till a year too late. I wouldn't want to play against him right now. I, 
I'd be remiss if we didn't ask you a little bit more about the 1989 team. I know people in, in Saskatchewan, I just talked about it in an article about Taylor Field. You talked about it as well, too, the whole nostalgia thing. 1989, the Grey Cup game. Um, you had that huge touchdown catch. Um, would you say... <laughs> Wrong shoulder, uh, that one there. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that was the... Not the, not the game, just that catch and touchdown. Was that the biggest play of your career? Oh, without a quite without question. Yeah. Um, that 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 play was yeah, it was the pinnacle of my career, even though I was only, you know, finishing my my second season. And it was funny play because um I never like I said before, I never said anything on the bench. You know, whenever Kent or Tom came up to me and said, What do you think? I said, You call him, I run him. You know, I never really I don't know if it was a, a superstitious thing or what, but I just never said anything. And prior to that series, uh, Tommy came over to me and said, can you beat Jordan deep? I wasn't sure if it was Jordan or Gordon because they had two halfbacks. But, um, um, and I looked at him and said, yes, I can. And I would never have said that any other time. And I don't think I ever did it again in my career. And so Tom went to Kent and Kent went to uh, Pal, and, you know, uh, they called the play and Kent threw it deep and, you know, but, I would never have said that. And it was just one of those weird times and weird things happen in great cups. So, um, but yeah, definitely the the biggest play of my career and certainly one I'll never, ever forget, regardless of how many hits I've had in the head. And so going into that game, obviously we know uh, I'm going to bring up the 16 and two Edmonton and, and Toronto parallel here in a little bit. Um, but going into the great cup game against Hamilton, when did you guys know that you guys were going to beat them? Oh God, not till the last second, <laughs> not until Dave kicked the field goal. And even then I wasn't sure what happened. Um, a lot of people say that we won the Grey cup when we beat Edmonton. Um, but remember we were a nine and nine team and we were floating by the seat of our pants. And, you know, we had a very fiery head coach and if things went wrong, we had Gary Greger to settle him down. And there was a lot of weird stuff that happened that year. Um, you know, when Suter got that really bad interference call, you know, it could have broken us apart, but it actually brought us together. Um, we had just amazing, you know, Dave Albright in that Western final was, was out of his mind. God rest his soul. Um, he is, you know, he was out of his mind in that game playing and Eddie Lowe and our defense just, you know, Bobby Jerson and, oh my God, we just had players that just came to play. We always knew we had a good team. We had a lot of injuries that year as well, um, which was which is why I think we're nine and nine, and maybe we surprised uh, Edmonton a bit. Uh, they came out with us a little cocky. Uh, there was stuff in the paper that we took didn't take lightly, but we, you know, we went in there and just played the game. And you know, we had we had an amazing offense coordinator. Um, you know, we had we had a. a, a two quarterback monster that, you know, could not be stopped when, when Kent was good, he was good, but when he was bad, he was bad. And we put Tommy in and, you know, look at the Western final Tom won the game for us. So, you know, it was just, uh, it was just one of those special years. And uh, I love, I love every single one of those guys. I have two more questions about that game. Um, one was um, about John Gregory. What did he say to you guys in the locker room before the game? I have no idea. <laughs> no clue. Uh, God, I was so in nervous. the zone and didn't pay attention. I there. was so nervous. I was a very nervous uh, before game player, so I was probably throwing up in a lock in, in a stall somewhere. Me and Roger Alday would throw up before every game, and you know I, I had no idea what he said. Um, 
I, I don't remember being introduced. Um, I don't remember the the, uh, the anthem. I just I remember I remember the game. I remember stepping onto the field, and then just sort of everything went dark and just went and played. Okay, my last question about that game is uh, Tony Champion, his touchdown catch to tie the game uh, to make it 40-40 um, at the end. As a receiver, did you see that and go, holy crap, that was like, considering the circumstances, right, with broken ribs, and I think it was third down as well, too. I don't remember the down. I, I remember, you know, Skipper had, Harry had really good cover on him, too, and boy, what a what a throw by Mike Kerrigan and what a catch. I, it was one of the best catches I've ever seen in my life. Um, but you know what? It, we we got in shootouts a lot that year, and we were an offense that knew we could score on anybody at any time. And I do remember sitting on the bench going, got to score. Let's, here we go. And we knew we had time to get down there. And uh, I didn't think the players that made the player the plays would make those plays. or I, I knew they would make them if they had the opportunity. I just didn't think that the ball would be going to those players um at such a crucial time you know speaking of mark guy and uh, i think ellingson had a catch on that drive or something like that too and it was just you know surreal that you know it had to happen and and uh it was just one of those things we sat on the bench okay let's go and then uh you know i remember ray putting his arm around john uh gregory and saying we're fine here we go and we just went out and did our jobs it's one of those things it's hard it's hard to imagine it's hard to put into words but it's just a feeling you have All right, so you guys go into that game by beating the 16-2 and Edmonton team. The Toronto Argonauts this year, 16-2. and We haven't seen since 89. Um, what will it take? And you've already kind of spoiled it by saying that they're going to win the Grey Cup. Sorry. If someone were to, uh, to uh, upset them, um, what's it going to take for a team to beat a team like Toronto? Someone, there's going to have to be a sniper in the stands that kills the two quarterbacks from from uh, Toronto. I mean, I, it's just not going to happen. I think they're they have the right makeup. I don't think they're they're near as cocky as Edmonton was. Um, I think they have so much depth. They are super well coached. Not that they weren't in, in Edmonton, but they're super well coached, and they're just going to keep them. They're they're going to come in healthy. You know, they've had <laughs> five games or something to to keep everybody healthy. I I can't imagine that Hamilton or Montreal could possibly beat them. Um, the only way it might happen is if Montreal's in there with that defense. Their defense is much, much better now with Sankey and Lemon. Um, so it, it might not be as high scoring as you think, but I, I can't imagine a scenario where Toronto doesn't come out on top. But that's why we play the game, right? So That's right. Um... Well, it's uh, every week we do picks uh, for our games. Um, I think Greg has the Lions this week. We actually have Lions this week. We didn't last week because it was basically just no a, one knew who was extra, playing. Yeah, extra week of preseason that we saw in the last week of the season. Um, so the first one, Hamilton at Montreal. Um, Jeff, if you want to give a guess here as to uh, what do you think the spread might be on that one? Sure, I'm not a better, um, but listening to you guys over and over i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's gonna be pretty close i'm gonna say four for uh, montreal i'm gonna go a little bit closer i think it'll be uh two and a half started two and a half it's now a three-point game glad i don't bet <laughs> i think uh, you're right though i honestly uh, i don't think it's gonna be that close i think 
Montreal is going to easily cover that three points. So it will be a four, at least a four point game. Well, it's going to come down to, to how well um, Mitchell can play, right? I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play the whole game and, you know, unless it comes down to the end, but, um, but I think he's going to, you know, if he can play and, and, and regather some of that stardom from Calgary, it, who knows? They, they could, they could easily come out with a win. I'm a big fan of chaos um, regardless and I think that uh, especially people here in Saskatchewan lo- would lose their minds um, if Cody Fajardo and Jason Moss somehow got to the Grey Cup and won it a year after getting there or leaving. So I'm on uh, I'm oh, on board with Montreal this week. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. So I'm on Props. board. Where's your lock of the week? Of chaos. That's the old. <laughs> that's the old Alouettes one from 19. My dad's, French horn. I think that was my dad from like 70. It was 1970. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah I think it was so. definitely 70s. Yeah, yeah the French horn. Yeah. yeah, the red and green French horn. Yeah, I loved it. Um, who knows what's going to happen with Hamilton's quarterbacks? Um, at least Montreal has that. Uh, they know what they're going to do with quarterbacks. Hamilton, I'm still not really sure does, and I think that's going to make a big difference uh, in this game. And Montreal's defense, like you said, Jeff, is if Noel Thorpe has them going, they're going to be very tough to beat, especially in this game at home. So I'll go with Montreal and and to cover the spread on that one. And the other game, Calgary at BC. I'd imagine BC is probably a pretty heavy favorite. Eight and a half? Uh, After what happened when Calgary went in there and beat them, I'm going to say it's going to be closer as as far as the spread. I'm going to say six and a half. That for me or for Alex? That's for you. You nailed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> six and, six a, half and a half has not moved at all. Well, personally, I think BC is going to beat them by a lot more than that. I think they're going to beat them by 14 points, but I understand where the spreads need to be too. So, but I think BC is going to come out on, you know, they've got tape on what B, what Calgary had to do. And I think it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be close. I think you, BC's. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, do you take much stock into that that last game that they played um, a couple of weeks ago? Like Calgary had to win that game essentially, um, at least to put the pressure on the Riders in that last regular season game. Um, and they came out and they, they played their best game of the year. And BC pretty much. I mean, I think Rick Campbell pretty much said it at halftime. Yeah, we're kind of giving up here. We're going to get Vernon out of the game here and and go with Dane Evans just to keep our guys healthy. Yeah, it's number one. It's tough to win two games in a row against any team. Um, number one, number two. Yeah, BC just wasn't there. They're they're going to fill that stadium. I hope. And you know, BC's going to come out flying. And you know, Jake Mayer. I'm not a fan of Jake Mayer. I think he's a second string playing playing first string all year. Um, I just don't think he has it in him. Um, the receivers have been dropping balls, especially the last two games. So, I again, I see BC winning by 14. Watching those receivers drop balls, how much does that make you mad? Makes me nuts. Makes me crazy. You know, it not as much as when I see NFL players drop balls because they make a hell of a lot more money. <laughs> so, you know, True. but no, it, it makes me crazy. I like BC in this one. Um, my concern is always is VA's consistency, and I love that man. I think he's a great quarterback, but when he has a bad game, he has a really bad game. But I don't think Calgary has the horses – unintended so i think bc is going to win but it's going to be closer than anticipated yeah for all the reasons that you guys said yes i as well am going with bc uh but i think like jeff said that the score is going to be that's a two score game that's a 14 point game 
I can't see them at at home doing that again. I, I can't see them blowing that one. So, and uh, one other thing we didn't mention this week, and uh, Jeff, I'm not sure how much you still pay attention to uh, CJFL. If you do, um, obviously Greg's. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not cheering for him. I don't he's, care. he's not cheering for the Saskatoon Hilltops, but they shut out. Uh, yeah, St. Clair. Uh, they Saint killed St. Clair like 45 nothing or something, right? 43, 43 nothing. nothing. Yeah, and I mean, how does that happen in this? I, 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 lo I love the CJFL, but the Ontario Football Conference is the redheaded stepchild of the CJFL. <laughs> Thanks for not saying bald-headed. <laughs> yeah, hey, well, hey, I got I to gotta protect myself here too. Um, but no, seriously, like a few years ago, they were doing cross-conference play the Thunder went out there and played Hamilton and they won 66 nothing. Yeah. The, nice. the, the OFC does not recruit like BC or the uh, Prairie Football Conference does. I where's probably the, to do you, with the colleges, but now you guys follow it a lot more than I do, but where's the Quebec uh, junior football league at? Like, Quebec is non existent. Non -existent. Really? It, it used to be. It used to, it used to exist. Uh, they folded 90s. Oh, uh, but so yeah, it's only been it's only been a three conference league for a while now. That's a shame, you know, because my dad, uh, my dad got to Arizona uh, as well, but he got through by by playing um, junior football, and he actually won the um, the Canadian championship against the Saskatoon Hill Cubs in 1964. No, 1960, I think. Yeah, something like that. And he was with the um, can't remember Rosemount Bombers, so out of out of Montreal, so. I'm shocked that they let it go because because Quebec is such a great football legacy. And uh, the Toppers will be uh, facing off in BC against the West Shore Rebels. Uh, Greg, you called that one actually. Um, mm -hmm. I only know that the Okanagan Sun and Sun is uh, always always up there. Um, but yeah, you said West Shore was going to win that one. They did. Well, um, West Shore has been a juggernaut this year, and yeah, like I said, their West Shore and Okanagan is their Hilltop Thunder. So. Well, I know you won't do it, Greg, but I am going for the Hilltops in this game. Uh, I, 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 I'm not cheering for them, but they're going to win. Hopefully Sarge brings another uh, championship back to Saskatchewan uh, in the CJFL. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to listen to it. I don't, I don't want to hear about it because I, my, my DMs, I, I, I am good friends with a lot of Hilltops supporters and former players and uh, my dms are gonna be full so i do not want it so, so greg i hear that you don't cheer from them what, what why the hate for saskatoon hilltops i'm on the regina thunderboard okay <laughs> <laughs> that is ingrained in me we, we have people on our board that spit when they hear saskatoon like corner jazz i'm not one of them that is gross <laughs> well I think that'll do it for this week here on the Piffles podcast. Uh, Jeff, again, thank you so much for joining us here, sharing your thoughts on, uh, on the riders and uh, taking us back down memory lane a little bit uh, with the 89 team, of course. And uh, I th just think it's so cool that you're, you know, you still follow the league as closely as you do. And you're just, you know, you're a big giant fan now. I think that's so cool because you don't see that a lot anymore. Yeah. You know, I was born in 1965, the year that my dad rookie season was. And so I, I was literally born into this league. I love the league. Um, 
thank God we're like a cockroach and nobody can kill us because this this league should have died many, many, many times. And I hope it lasts another hundred years for, for the sake of, of the country and for football in Canada. Um, so yeah, I've just been, I am a big fan. I'm a big rider fan and, um, you know, I just want everybody to do well and, you know, everybody to do well. Everybody has to succeed at the box office in order for the league to be, uh, sustainable. So thanks for that. I, I love the league. I'm a big, uh, I do what I can to support it. And, um, you're, uh, I know you did another year of analysis on, uh, 620 CKRM for the game day shows. Is that something that might be in the, in the future in 2024 as well? I hope so. Uh, Daniela has bailed and going to Ontario, so uh, I'm not sure what the future holds. We've got a couple more, couple more things to do. We're going to do it for the playoffs, and uh, you know, hopefully, if they want me back, and I'm certainly happy to do it because it keeps me involved. I, I have fun talking about it. Otherwise, I'd sit back and not pay attention. But uh, you know, I'd still watch the games, but now I have to watch them a little closer. But I really do enjoy it. Well, again, Jeff, thanks for your time here this week, sharing uh, everything with us. We appreciate that. And uh, all the best going forward. Thanks, guys. It's always fun. I listen to you every week when I'm working out on usually, what is it, Wednesdays, I think I listen to you guys. And uh, yeah, you do a good job. Like you said, we don't always agree, but it's uh, I love I love the uh, the passion you guys have for the team and our league and uh, especially for the Hilltops, Greg. So it's good. <laughs> well, I was going to tell Steve if he's listened this far, yeah, he's been replaced, but fine, I guess. Yeah, you're, you're out. <laughs> not you're anymore. Not <laughs> yeah, not anymore. <laughs> all good. Well, of course, Piffle's podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks always go out to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making the show possible. We'll leave you like we do every single week with some Tyler Gilbert. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind. Uh-huh.